So it's playing with innocence again. Innocence is a, is a trope that's often used in film, and then Belfast does that in a more careful way in some ways, but I think can be sort of critiqued very easily for being very much nostalgic in its celebration of escape and seeing the troubles as something that we just have to move on from and forget rather than interrogate or connect with and understand. Hello and welcome to this month's Aaron's Podcast. I'm Rory Montgomery. Our subject today is the cinema and how it has represented the troubles in Northern Ireland. We're very glad to have with us Pat Brereton of the School of Communications at Dublin City University, whose article Troubles and Northern Ireland, Representations in Film of Belfast as a Site of Conflict, was published last year in Irish Studies in International Affairs. And we also have, um, from the School of Arts, English and Languages at Queen's University, Belfast, Des O'Raw, who supplied a comment uh, on Pat's article. So maybe we could just begin, Pat, by asking you to set out what you were aiming to describe uh, in your article and, and the main points you would like us to take from it. Yes, thanks. Um, I mean, I'm sort of a film scholar generally and I'm very much interested particularly in environmental communication but I've always been interested in troubled narratives and troubled narratives in regards to Irish cinema and I used to teach a lot of Irish cinema studies and we have a book uh, on the uh, dictionary of Irish cinema that I would have an entry on the troubles. So in this this last, in in this paper I've sort of just tried to Look at three films. I tend to, I like the idea of three films to sort of analyze, and I've done that in lots of my writings where I try to set up a debate between three different types of films. So I'm sort of looking at to try and see how Belfast in particular, the new Belfast film, how that speaks to an Irish identity debate. And I'm sort of comparing it with um, two classics, which in my book would be Odd Man Out from the 40s and 71 which is a a film that some people mightn't know about uh, but it's a sort of a video game like narrative of uh, a British soldier who is uh, uh, trying to escape uh, during the trouble so it's sort of the three very very different films but I'm trying to make a few arguments around how the troubles are represented and how they're being reframed post post sort of the ceasefire and post sort of where the troubles are now hopefully over and and how this reimagining of the troubles from a director who lived in Belfast for a, for a small number of years and had to move away uh, how he sort of repositions and how he sort of thinks about and and makes a film about about Belfast his his home his hometown and how that film became very popular, but I'm sort of sort of critiquing it in some ways, in, in, in lots of ways, which I can explain later. But I'm sort of just trying to be, you know, arguing of how it sort of, is it reimagining the same sort of debates around the troubles? Is it playing with, uh, with sort of notions of fatalism? Uh, sort of J- John Hill uh, has done a lot of research on this uh, as a scholar, and, and he talks about the fatalistic representations of how the British represent the Irish. So again, we're into very polarizing debates, but uh, sort of I'm trying to argue, as, as I say in this film, that it does some of that while it also plays with nostalgia and plays with sort of different tropes of, of representations that, that feeds into sort of debates that 
how does it add to a sort of a, an identity conflict debate? How does it sort of speak to different sort of agendas? So that's really just what I'm trying to do in, in the paper. Uh, thanks, Pat. Uh, Des, um, you, you know, you've written a, a quite a crisp comment on Pat's paper, and I think you know, maybe you don't entirely agree with his approach, or you think there are other dimensions worth taking into account. Well, well, well of course, I, you know, I welcome uh, and enjoyed reading Pat's uh, article, and you know, my position is not you know, strictly in sort of absolute opposition to to, 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 to Pat. But I, I suppose what I used my response, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to provide a response was really to sort of sketch out some, I suppose ask some further questions, uh, principally about, uh, you know, the kind of critical discourse that uh, surrounds, um, you know, the reception of films which are kind of based on Troubles narratives or that use the Troubles and the situation in um, Northern Ireland as... Um, their kind of narrative content, and I suppose for me, there, there sometimes there, there's been an overemphasis on uh, I think the historical and political uh, contexts, and and that then has encouraged highly historical and political um, interpretations. And I think one of the problems in Irish screen studies is that there's a danger that this can uh, I think lead to maybe slightly reductive. Um, approach to, to, to film criticism. Uh, it can also exaggerate the importance of historians and uh, political commentators and sociologists in, in debating and discussing films. And I think there's uh, maybe scope for uh, perhaps more attention to some of the kind of formal and aesthetic issues that um, are important to any kind of uh, film criticism. And uh, that's sort of, I suppose, one of the issues I have. I also think there is a you know, it's, it is literally an academic distinction, but um, you know there is a slight distinction between, I think, a sort of media studies approach to um, to, to, to film, film criticism and theory, which has its origins in sociology. Media studies is a sort of um, a subdiscipline of sociology, really, or it was originally anyway, and a more sort of film studies approach, which I suppose is more focused on looking at the cinema and history of cinema and. You know, these can sometimes be two um, two countries divided by the same language, but uh, there there is a different emphasis sometimes there, and there is sometimes a different critical approach. And generally, in Irish film studies and Irish screen studies, the uh, emphasis is usually on the media studies approach. That's that's been the important one and the dominant one, and uh, possibly still is. So, to some extent, I am aware of the fact that I'm arguing from a certain kind of uh, you know an alternative position to that but it's not as I said it's not that I am trying to be um, a, a critic of that or a, a critic of critique or whatever it's just that I think it's, it's it's a discussion and a discourse that can be broadened and widened and I think that's very important at the minute because I think we're, we're sort of moving into a new era or a new epoch um, you know there are new um, modes and forms of production and distribution and uh, there are new critical debates to be had about the relationship between um, kind of these new technologies and the kinds of films and the kind of cinema experiences that uh, uh, we, we, you know we're going to sort of um, produce uh, in the future, and and that also, which I think is also important for obviously for people like Pat and myself, is what the impact of that is in terms of teaching and film education and and a, m a more general shift, which uh, I'm sure uh, Pat notices as well, t away from an emphasis on, on critical theory and critical studies and uh, towards a more creative uh, practice. Students are more keen on that. So we, we need to ensure that there is a kind of a, 
uh, critical and theoretical discourse that can accompany that tra- tra- transition and um, can interrogate it as well. And and so 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 those are the kind of positions I'm trying to. Yeah, you 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 put it you put it interestingly when you write that uh, screenplays and the dramatic rules and narrative conventions they impose should be among the least important um, features of film criticism and filmmaking, in my view, as opposed to the the more I suppose aesthetic and imaginative uh, elements. But we can come back to that if you like. I suppose just a little point though to both of you, maybe to Pat. Um, I, I suppose in a way the the development of the study of film as a sort of academic discipline in Ireland, I suppose people coincided with the arrival of the Troubles. So maybe that also helps to explain why a lot of attention has been on films which have been telling political stories. Yeah, I would certainly echo that. I think that that's the key sort of, and it could be a media studies debate, I would agree with Des on that. And it's it's also a cultural studies argument that it's sort of, we look at the Troubles as being about conflict and about sort of issues around that. And, and you know, in, in 101 film studies, we do talk about the, the core theories we endlessly talk about, our narratology and telling st- how stories are told and what genres are being used, what framework or what sort of type of structure is being used. And I think that sort of informs a lot of the, the pleasures for audiences, but how they also engage with the film. So I'm not really writing about this for, for, for a film studies sort of the academy. I'm writing it more for trying to see what these films, how they speak to and how they reflect a sort of a, a post a sort of ceasefire moment, how it sort of engages with audience. Why are people enjoying uh, Belfast now? Why do they like this film? Does it f- appeal to the nostalgic sort of element that people want to either forget or displace the sort of the tensions that are there? This romantic recreation of a, of a past that Bala is doing, why is that successful? So it's it's, it's sort of feeding into audience reception studies, which is a, a growing area in, in media studies to see where do people, why do people like something or what, what sort of drives them and what's, what, what are the elements in the form or in the films that actually speak to them? In 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 the in the way that sort of uh, they can connect with, um, but I agree with Des that from film studies perspective, where we are obviously interested in aesthetics and trying to see where new generational audiences and and film scholars and students can actually make more interesting and engaging films that that might be more more interesting into the future. So I, I I'm just uh, sort of reflecting on its cultural effects on audiences. Uh, and again, it's very hypothesis. There's no evidence of audience reception studies here. I'm just sort of trying to steer that why is there a, is there a connection between these films that sort of speak to a, a developmental representation of, of the troubles, which we would all argue, which I would sort of argue, and it's, it's always been used, especially by Americans and, and British filmmakers, as an excuse to make conflict narratives. So The Troubles is a good narrative device as well, if you want to be crude about it. So, But I'm being more positive in this in saying that these three films still speak to the, the conflict and even though they may not, certainly are not historically accurate, uh, certainly not in, in all the three of the films, but they do speak to a tenor in how we've evolved or how audiences have evolved in how they understand this conflict from 
odd man out, according to a lot of scholars, being very apolitical in its representation, in not dealing with the conflict as was then at the time, in sort of speaking to that sort of agenda. And 71 then trying to reimagine how how sort of a, a young um, sort of paratro- sort of, sort of British soldier arriving in, in, in this maze of, and that's a, an abused word, obviously, how, how they sort of, how they could cope and how, so it's playing with innocence again. Innocence is a, is a trope that's often used in film. And then Belfast does that in a more careful way in some ways, but I think can be sort of critiqued very easily for being very much nostalgic in its celebration of escape and seeing the troubles as something that we just have to move on from and forget rather than interrogate or connect with and understand uh, in some ways. Uh, you know, and I make a big play on on Belfast in in the sense of using the, the sort of the, the Docklands areas and whatever, but yet not really speaking to the real conflicts. It's, it's very much sort of simplified, and which film does all the time, but it does that in a very crude way. And I think that's unfortunate. I mean, a, a very big question, um, which... I don't expect either of you to answer comprehensively, but it is this this question. I mean, to what extent does film or can film reflect history in a more or less reliable way, um, but and or, I suppose, shape public memory? And that's an international question, I suppose, and an Irish. I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, for example, the, uh, peop- the depiction of the um, American uh, conquest uh, of the uh, the West um, and the extermination of, uh, of 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 Native Americans, you know, clearly is seen hugely through the lens of Hollywood films. And I recently watched "They Died with Their Boots On," which is the film with Errol Flynn about um, about General Custer. And then, of course, Second World War is a very interesting one. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, a recent film which takes a different different and first, first war, war, first and second world wars. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, first world war is uh, is 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 um, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, and then I suppose other issues like the assassination of JFK, Oliver Stone's movie, and a lot of people actually get their um, historical understanding. It can seem from from film or indeed TV, as in The Crown. But maybe Des, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that broad theme? Um, well, I, I just go back to one point about audiences and uh, the reception of films. I mean, I would um, suspect that one of the reasons why so many people liked Belfast is because um, they were told to like it. You know, that there is a, you know, there's a whole apparatus there that markets and promotes and, and uh, it's a feel-good film and um, it says positive things, particularly positive things about um, loyalist communities and, 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 and Protestant mm. communities in in, in uh, particularly in North Belfast, and that's um, that's very important, and 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 that, that you know, but I mean, its its contribution to to the history of of, of cinema is fairly negligible, really. You know, I think, uh, but but it's it's of its time, it's of its moment, and it did remind me in a way of. Um, Ken Loach in 2006 or seven uh, made The Wind That Shakes the Barley, and uh, he. He screened it at the Belfast Film Festival and he uh, introduced it. And there was a Q&A, I think, or there was some discussion. And he, he did say that he was slightly apprehensive about taking this film down south to Dublin because of the reception um, of, of Michael Collins, uh, Neil Jordan's 1996 film. Okay, uh, And when that film was released, uh, which was round about the time of the, uh, you know, the peace process and the Good Friday Agreement was trying to... Um, so it was very political and um, a lot of 
uh, critics, you know, uh, particularly in the South, felt that this film, you know, you know, was a sort of a propaganda piece, really, for um, nationalism and all that. So, he, so he, uh, Ken Loach, expected the usual suspects to come out and attack his film on the same. But the difference between uh, the Republic of Ireland in 1996 and in and, and 2006, whatever was, of course, that uh, by 2006, Ireland was in, in the midst of the Celtic Tiger. It had basically um, evacuated all kind of debates about history. And, you know, so so the wind that shakes the barley, which is arguably a much more challenging and um, disturbing film, uh, particularly about the whole issue of how Ireland uh, reconciled itself with its past, was actually generally very well received uh, in most quarters and it was seen as something which authenticated some Irish sense of history and sense of the past and the importance of history in terms of this. this. So, you, you, you know, the, the circumstances will quite often dictate how uh, films, you know, function in terms of um, uh, influencing popular, popular perceptions of the past and popular memory and that sort of thing. So I, I think that's um, something to bear in mind. Uh, and I said, I think Belfast is the same. I think it belongs to a particular kind of historical political moment. Um, I think um, Bran is fairly astute. I was going to say impresario, but anyway, artist or whatever. And you know, he's, and uh, you know, he, he, he's he's good sense of these things, and I think that's certainly one of the reasons why it was uh, popular and uh, did well. I, I also think it's it is a very conventional film, and um, it did win an Oscar for. And screenplay, and that obviously takes me into this other issue around screenwriting and screenplays. It's, it's not that I'm sort of saying that screenplays aren't important, but um, my sense is that um, Irish filmmaking, Irish cinema, you know, uh, and it possibly has to do with the uh, influence and dominance of Irish literature as a kind of primary sort of cultural mode of <laughs> national kind of uh, mode of expression. It's a sort of uh, the national art form, whatever. So that that uh, literature quite often seems to be in and around adaptations of. I mean, we were talking earlier about Emma Donoghue and you know, mm. of works of literature that are very popular. Uh, that encourages for me a, a, a cinema that's quite literary, uh, that's trying to cash in on that. Understandably, that that uh, that kudos. And uh, but I do think that can be damaging for the film culture, and I think it can be damaging for the, crea- the you know the, the creativity of filmmakers because if. We're thinking all the time of films as being illustrative of um, scripts and texts and that type of thing. I think that can affect the um, the scope. It can reduce the scope for maybe some more experimentation and, and a cinema that's more visual or audiovisual rather than textual. So, I uh, so that would be one of my issues. I mean, in terms of troubles, films. Um, for me, you know, I, I actually would. I would say I, I got a lot more out of a film like Hunger, or even way before that, Elephant, or films like that, because they seem to me to capture something of the sort of the um, that you know the the, the the period of the troubles, different things. You know, it captures something about it's. You know, there was some very kind of uh, fragmentary, untidy, unresolved, uncertain, unstable, you know, about and, and those types of films which didn't offer coherent, you know, formulaic narrative structures seemed to me to, to be more accurately responding to that to that sense. And, and I think that was the sense in, in that situation. So, but but again, I, I mean, I'm fully aware of the, the fact that, you know, there are important commercial factors that have it. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, I suppose with with Belfast and and Brana as well, one had the sense also that here you had this very well known um, and internationally successful actor and filmmaker 
going back to his his place of origin. And I, I won't say, you know, doing it a favor, but in a way, this was seen as a almost a validation of the city, isn't that right? Yeah. He's associated with the Billy plays, you know, uh, yeah. and uh, from, from sort of... Uh, but, I mean, he did always come back. I mean, he, he always brought back the Renaissance films, the Shakespeare films. He came back. It was always an event, I think, cultural event when Branagh arrived for the Belfast Festival or whatever. So he's kept the connection there. I, I think with Belfast, though, he kind of internationalized yes. <laughs> in a way that he hadn't. Um, but um, we'll get on to, to your take on, on Belfast in a, in a moment, Pat, but we'll get back to it. But just on this more general question of if you like the the shaping of public mm. memory, or even I suppose in ways the the misshaping of mm. of, of of public memory, I suppose in a specifically Irish context, um, you remember Michael Collins was was mm. mentioned a moment ago, when I think um, there was a sense quite often anything else that a, a film with one character played by Liam Neeson and another played by Alan Rickman was going to make pretty clear who was the goody and who was the baddie. But um, what do you any yeah. th- any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, picking up on what Des was saying, there's scholars who will argue that the wind that checks the barley was a Fianna Fáil interpretation of the of the, of the <laughs> Civil War, whereas Michael Collins is a fine Gael version. So again, these are reimagining history is is part of the game of of a lot of film film analysis. Uh, I would agree that Hunger and Elephant are more aesthetically interesting movies, but unfortunately, they don't get big audiences. Uh, I would have students who want to make. We have a student at the moment who is trying to do a sub elephant type thing is a video game type thing. Just mention, just say a little bit about what uh, okay, elephant uh, uh, is. Elephant is where it's Alan Clark, I think. Is it Alan, yeah. Alan Clark? So it, it, it's representing the troubles where a shooter goes and starts killing people just at, at random, it, it appears. It just it just goes from one shoot to another and becomes almost methodical in the sort of with no motivation, no justification, which some critics will say is reifying another sort of attitude towards the North, that it's, it's irrational and whatever, playing into the John Hill argument. But it does capture an essence about the aesthetic of violence and how it sort of can be quite traumatic and whatever. Whereas Hunger is, is a very, very complicated, very art house type movie around uh, the Mays Prison and the Hunger Strikers, which really sort of gets inside the, the, the space in so many different ways. I mean, my best memory of, of it's a horrible memory of is where the the feces and the feces and the urine it's, is uh, is on the corridor and they're sweeping and the sweeping goes on for seeming like ages to sort of represent that sort of the the, the whole trauma so it's the, it's using so many different senses and it certainly isn't two-dimensional which des is right a lot of mainstream commercial narratives are very sort of they're just trying to hit the market they're trying to get audiences and whatever but my argument on that is that they will still get, they'll connect in different ways in spite of that. So even though they are driven by the commercial imperative, they can get across some, some interesting ideas and at least they start debates or start arguments. So uh, I would argue that Belfast still sort of spoke to people on varying aspects about what it was like to live in Belfast during that period. And we were talking earlier about, you know, a lot of people in the South and in the UK would never have been in Belfast. So even, so the representations are really important, I, I think, for, for that ex, for that point. I mean, Des makes a comment that I, I think he's very right, that all cinema is propaganda. 
and it can be, uh, but it's still, it can speak to an agenda that sort of makes makes the story and makes conflict understandable for a lot of people. You know, the idea of what comes across and how things are represented really can speak to audiences. So they're very important for that reason. They can, they can push the dial in how people re- relate and reflect on which side they're on. And as we all know, with war scenarios, you're either on one side or the other. So how it deals with that can be can be quite important. So I think media and, and film can have a very important role to play in in post Brexit Ireland, as well as sort of in pre sort of dealing with the conflict in in its in its sort of time. And and yet they do it ineffectively a lot of the times. But at least if they raise an argument, it can set up debates that can be very effective and therapeutic sometimes in getting people people to speak. Uh, in, in different ways. Uh, I mean, being nostalgic about Northern Ireland is quite new, uh, one would argue, in film terms. So it's, it's quite a new, in, even though I would be critical of it, it's, it's, it's an interesting take uh, that speaks to uh, the general audiences. I suppose the point you make about, again, the importance and even attractiveness of conflict um, to, to filmmakers is quite striking because there aren't too many films um, about the you know the talks about talks which led up to the um, negotiation of the Good Friday Agreement, and there hasn't even, to the best of my knowledge, been a kind of dramatization of the Good Friday Agreement negotiations. I think there was one film, was it, or TV show, which showed Paisley and McGuinness being driven somewhere in a car together and having a conversation. But as far as it goes, getting back then to Belfast itself, you I mean we've spoken quite a lot about it already, and, and there may not be a lot to. To add, but as you say, a very successful film in in Ireland and 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 elsewhere, and I suppose you know it's 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 an account of a, a city, but it's above all, I suppose, mediated through the eyes of a an innocent and quite happy little boy. Um, but um, any further thoughts on on Belfast? And you, I get yeah. the impression that neither of you would be its biggest fan. No, I mean, I, I'm just looking at uh, my colleague Debbie Ging argues that a lot of troubled narratives have, they play on this myth of Frankenstein, whereby political readers, leaders are seen to have stirred up violence and subsequently lost control of the beast they created. So there's this, and again, that plays into a, a notion of conflict makes good drama. Uh, there's a very famous phrase coming from Milton's Paradise Lost that Satan gets all the best lines. So we, we need conflict. We need for good drama, allegedly. Uh, and then there's, according to Debbie, there's a misappropriated Darwinian theory where the Irish are posited as less developed on the evolutionary scale. This goes back to very early representations of Irish and how the, how the British and, and the others represent us and how that sort of plays into, you know, has that been totally got rid of now in, in the current world we live in or is there still a, a residue of, of stereotyping and whatever? And, and as I keep talking to my students, stereotyping is... It's neither good nor bad. It's not that simple to say something is stereotyped or not. What's not stereotyped? Because film is always playing with stereotypes. Uh, so this fractured identity crisis, is that where we're sort of at? And, you know, a lot of film that deals with a post-conflict situation is is really about memorializing, trying to sort of look to the past and see what, how can we learn from it? Can we sort of, do we need to experience it again? So you could argue that Ballas film is, or that uh, he's he's still trying to do that in Belfast, uh, you know, that that's therapeutic for him. 
even though we might see the commercial imperative very much driven his his sort of memorializing uh, you know that can work for for his agenda so as as a film i i think i would have to be open to how audiences respond to it in the way that that they feel with maybe a lack of knowledge of the troubles and how they sort of they see it as as sort of opening up a debate that this is another quarter of ireland that that sort of is just could be anywhere and it's it's legitimizes and normalizes something that is always a problem with conflict narratives where it demonizes or sets up oppositions yeah. any 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 last thoughts on belfast uh, from you des <laughs> Not, not really. Uh, the only thing I would say is that I, I think a lot of those issues around, you know, the representation of Irish characters and conflict narratives. I, I mean, these are not particular to to the troubles. I mean, they're they're they're, they're nearly a cliche and a you know a lot of Hollywood. And again, that is about all. So, so my really position is I accept all of that, but at the same time, I still think you know um, audiences. Um, deserve to be challenged you know they deserve to be uh, disturbed uh, you know if you have to get a, your, your knowledge of history from the cinema I think you're probably in the wrong place uh, yeah. and and while these films and things may absolutely t- stimulate debate and discussion and all of that uh, as I said my, my, my problem with that then is that uh, these very quickly and I think this is particularly true in Ireland uh, drift away from debates about you know, the, f- the forms of the films and how these sit within a broader kind of aesthetic and philosophical kind of framework and they drift into debates about politics. And so it just becomes basically yeah. a, a political argument by, by other means, you know. So I, 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 I can see how there are, you know, um, positives around that and advantages, but, but, but I think fundamentally, that, you know, that's something that, the sh- you know, we should have a counter argument against yeah. that. We should be in a position to look for films and, and, and explore other films that aren't necessarily available to, to, to those kind of... Um. I mean, of course, also, it, I mean, it's also interesting as an account um, as of a, of a small boy who I suppose is kind of an alter ego of, of Brana. And just recently, I went to see the Spielberg um, autobiographical film, The Fablemans. Mm. And of course, a crucial moment in his life is the first time he's taken to the cinema by his parents and sees a train crash in the film. And... Equally, there are two moments of glorious technicolor when Brana and his family go to see films mm. in Belfast. So I suppose again, it's something about a, par- a portrait of the artist as a, mm. as a as a young boy. I suppose you mentioned a little bit, Pat, about 1971, and as you say, a film probably a lot of people don't know. Yeah. I, I remember actually going to see it myself a, a few years ago, um, but yeah, an interesting film. And you said it's really about an isolated soldier trying to make his way back to safety through threatening territory. Yeah, I mean, it's rare to have a film that foregrounds a British soldier in, in a trouble in the in an ordinary trouble narrative. They're usually the background or they're the, the antagonist or whatever. So this is is sort of very much speaking to, again, taking on Des' point, it's like a video game narrative. It's it's like a gameplay. So, you know, he's trying to escape it through this maze of, of Belfast as he tries to move around mm. and meets up with all the sort of antagonists in the, in the sort of, in the, in the backstory. So again, it's, 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 it's a British outsider not understanding what they're being let into and trying mm. to understand it. So it, it sort of plays into the usual stereotypes, but it does it quite well as a visceral exciting gameplay but the politics are quite problematic obviously because the way it represents the the, the, the sort of the the sort of the the British army and how they sort of how they are mediated as as sort of trying to 
pull against between two antagonistic forces rather than uh, having any agency themselves. Uh, you know, they're seen as the innocent party. And I think that plays well in the game uh, as a video game, but whether it works in, in, historic, in historical terms or in, in narrative terms is, is quite even. But it, it works well as a film and my students like it because it, they can connect generically with what it's trying to do. Yeah, I, I suppose I can't actually remember. Um, does it does it sort of involve both Republicans and loyalists, or is it mostly loyalists? He has to, or Republicans rather, he has to battle his way back through. And I suppose that ties into the question. Uh, I suppose that Belfast is maybe a bit unusual um, as a film in focusing above all on a Protestant community, even if it's yeah. a somewhat mixed community. And whereas I suppose the greater part of films have been about. Republicans and the IRA. Yeah, I, I think Republicans and IRA are usually valorised in film because they're seen as the underdog, generally. So the Protestants are too connected, are seen as, as sort of part of, uh, like, South Africa as, as they wanting to establish. And In 71, I think it does deal with both sides, but it's almost a plague on both your houses because they're both seen as demonised, even though there's good characters who are trying to retrieve the situation. So it's the same in, as in Odd Man Out. There's the characters who are trying to so go beyond and try to bring people back from the brink and not sort of go to the... So again, it's it's very Shakespearean almost in trying to make these characters as sort of trying to have a tragic flow and, and not being able to resolve the situation. Um, Des, the, the third of Pat's um, films is Odd Man Out. Uh, and I suppose, again, a, a film well known to film buffs, maybe not to a general audience. Uh, and of course, it comes out of an extremely distinguished stable, I suppose, with, I mean, as you say in your piece, a cinematographer who had filmed uh, David Lean's uh, Great Expectations and, you know, again, Carol Reed, the director, going on to direct um, that absolute classic um, The Third Man. So what's your feeling about how it goes about its 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 its, its job, both narrative and uh, and filmic, if you like? Well, uh, I mean, Old Man, it is obviously an iconic film and, and um Certainly in Belfast, it, it it's uh, it's an important part of the kind of popular you know history of Belfast. And all that. I mean, certainly the Crown Bar and these. But what's interesting about for me about Old Man Out and its relationship to seventy one and Belfast is uh, is in terms of their relationship to 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 realism. I mean, I mean Belfast is not uh, you know it's not a realistic film. I mean, in the sense, it's all it's the product of this child's you know and. It's, and I think, as you say, in the response, you know, in some respects, um, it's less successful in that than a film like The Butcher Boy, which which which, which I think is a very important uh, Irish film. Uh, so it's, so it's a, quite a subjective kind of thing. And similarly with 71, you know, we're brought into this kind of world which, you know, is hyper-real at times, but nevertheless, and, and similarly in Odd Man Out, you know, you have these sort of very surreal dream hallucinatory sequences and different things. So um, there's there's different kind of notions of, of, of 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 um, and, and uh, of cinema and concepts of cinema, film language uh, at play there, and sometimes one of the problems is that people tend to pin these films down and try and yeah. argue that they are sort of the sort of <laughs> a stable, reliable kind of historical document. Um, mm. If there's ever such a thing as a stable, reliable historical document, so you know, I, I, so that that's sometimes where I have a a problem with it. So that means that when people approach Odd Man Out, 
they they tend to approach it as nearly a nearly a documentary <laughs> about you know um, the activities of the IRA and the interwar period and 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 this sort of thing and that seems to me to be um, beside the point. Now, people like John Hillnos have of course argued Pat as well. You know, well that's the problem with it. You know what I mean? It isn't dealing head on with the material realities of conflict and the sort of. But I mean, I I think again there's a history inside Odd Man Out that's important to excavate. You know, I think there are. I don't just think there are, you know, are associations and illusions for the sake of them. I think it contains quite an interesting history of of where British cinema, British filmmaking was at at that time, uh, and also that's um, I think important in terms of understanding the sort of f- figuring of of conflict and 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 because Northern Ireland quite often in a lot of these films functions as a kind of metaphor for something else and somewhere else, you know, and. Uh, so I do feel it's a very it's a very important film and and in in that respect and uh, as I said obviously I would have a, a certain sentimental attachment to it I mean if it's, if it's on the television I'll watch it <laughs> uh, uh, for the umpteenth time but it is also a film I think in which uh, Carol Reed is also trying to develop uh, which was very difficult for British filmmakers at, at that time a distinctive kind of film language a distinctive take on the film noir genre and and uh, I think he was quite influenced by some contemporary European cinema as well different things so uh, you know I think all of that's important to take on board and it's something again which I think um, you know filmmakers um, sh- you know that's I would imagine what interests them rather than as I said it's kind of um, it's social or political um, yeah. message vertical, you know. I mean Pat I suppose thinking about it it's a bit funny that you know, a, a British film and a well known British director and should make a film with this subject at that particular time. I mean, obviously there had been some mm. IRA activity both in, in Belfast, uh, in in the Republic, and, and in Britain at the very, just before and, and, and during the war. But by this point, you you, you were a bit, you know, a little bit after the war, and I suppose Northern Ireland and Ireland had not thrust themselves into British consciousness in the way that had happened at the time of the War of Independence, etc., or, of course, in the time of the more recent Troubles. But um, Man out. I mean, do you? Where do you place it in the in in a hierarchy when it comes to films about Belfast and about Northern Ireland? Yeah, I mean that's an impossible question to answer, and I'm not sure whether Carl Reed was he just using it because it had a troubled background and just using it as an excuse to get out of of the UK, as as Des was saying. In other words, it it is part of of of, of British film history and the evolution and how he connects with the other cities that he did when he was making these films. So again, we're reinterpreting it from a historical perspective, which is probably wrong and it's unfair but again what, what, we, what we do in film studies is we're always trying to and in media studies we're trying to reinterpret and seeing can it can we see a lineage between films and can we put it is, is it a, a primary film for its the way it speaks to sort of contemporary times in the same way as I would try to compare The Quiet Man and Uncalling Coon in, in Ireland which are totally different films but I, I would see lineage going back so I would say that Odman Out, its style and its stylistic references would be reinterpreted by other filmmakers in later films. So it, it's there as a sort of a, a canonical piece that can mean and be can mean lots of things since it's so stylishly done, so so well done. Even connecting with with Joyce's story, the dead with the snow at the end. It's sort of it's so iconic and so film noirish in its in its evocation, and its acting is so sort of. Uh, highly regarded so it has that sort of residue 
do from a film studies perspective, how we re- reconnected to the reality of Northern Ireland at that period is is very difficult to assert, I would suggest. We're coming to the end of our time, but maybe, and maybe our, our listeners will be interested in this, if maybe if I could ask each of you just to, to, to name two or three other films um, either with Belfast or the Troubles in Northern Ireland as a as a background, which they might be interested in in in, in looking at. Um, Des, you mentioned Elephants and Hunger already, of course. I, as I said, I, I think the majority of these films are fairly formulaic and and conform to uh, you know um, particular genre um, rules and regulation, and, and that's in studio based. I mean, but I mean, I am. I'm always quite interested in trying to uh, get behind that. Um, and uh, I mean, even, you know, I mean, I know it's not directly where it's known, Aaron, but it is sort of in the in the news at the minute. I mean, if you take a film like uh, Banshees of Inishirin, for example, yes. you know, uh, I mean, I was quite surprised at the, uh, the, the extent of debate about the Irish Civil War as if the, so that when I actually saw the film I, I, I began to think there must be another Banshees of Inishirin out there <laughs> that is about that because for me the the, the, the the Civil War issue was very deliberately marginal and incidental to whatever the main drama was that this is a film that's um, it's a kind of moral tale it's a sort of fable about uh you know what happens when when when, pe- when people decide to sacrifice you know uh, friendship and and ordinary ordinary life niceness I think as he puts it uh, for some great plan or some great uh, uh, and all of that so so I, I, and I took it at that spur and I thought it was very you know again to go back to my earlier point as well it was interesting how it kind of rejects the conve- normal realistic conventions and goes for a more uh, slightly surreal even kind of uh, uh, mise en scène but um, you know and. But it was interesting in one sense in that, as I said, is that, um, you know, people, there's a tendency uh, to to zoom in on this political and historical context Mm -hmm. to look at something like the Civil War to try and uh, entice uh, historians into debates about these things as if if that's an important uh, imprimatur, you know, and and I think that to me is symptomatic of a, a broader problem. So when you say to me, can you think of other, you know, the, the, the problem for me is partly the question, you know, I know, you know, yes. you know and, and, and the issue is really what, and to go back, and I said, I say this, and I, I know Pat shares this as well, as someone who works in, in teaching and in film education, you know, it's, but trying to ensure that we have a, we are developing and contributing to debates and to, to, to critical discourse, which is, uh, you know, uh, up to speed with, with, with these broader cultural developments, with what um, students are, 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 are kind of interested in and what can inform their own kind of aesthetic and, and, and I suppose, you know, um, choices and decisions and that sort of thing. And as I said, I, I suppose for me, part of the problem is that an overemphasis on you know, social and political and historical contexts um, uh, you know, maybe cells can, can can sell them short a bit. You know. Yeah. No, no, Pat. I know it was a very basic question, and I'm not asking you to rank um, films <laughs> between one and five stars, thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, but uh, I, I, yeah, I was going. I was going to answer it. I say I was going to say that I see one of the most interesting. <laughs> I thought it was the Shore, which was a short film. Um, um, sure. The Shore. Yeah, I think it was, and that's quite an interesting for me. Who comes from. Um, Ireland stuff that, that I thought that was quite an interesting take on a whole range of um, c- cultural issues, which which are important. And um, again, it's it, 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 you know there's a sort of quirky kind of filmmaking that 
perhaps is, is, is I think, I suspect is where the future is going to be. It's not going to be in, 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 in Belfast. And was that made recently? Uh, I think it was about 10 years ago. Okay, the short. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. Terry okay. George made it, was it? All right. Okay. Short, short story. Uh, okay. Short film, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but um, Pat, then yeah, just... Uh, I, I would use an anecdote. I, I lived for over a decade in the 90s in the UK, and I ended up uh, going up to London once to see In the Name of the Father. Jim Sheridan always gets bad press in the UK because he's quite strong, and he's in In the Name of the Father about the Birmingham Six. And I saw it in an almost empty screen in Leicester Square, and about 20 minutes into the film, this guy started standing up and started shouting at the screen. And he really was drunk at the time. And I was cowering in the cinema. Oh, my God. my! Fa-. So they had to stop the cinema and stop the film and, and play it again and, and whatever. And so it, it just as a film, again, it, it spoke to a lot of big debates. It was really provocative. And it was uh, sort of speak to the, the justice issues and whatever, which is, is really important. But again, it's flawed in, in lots of ways in its historiography. But the other one I would mention is Neil Jordan has a long history of making uh, troubled narratives. His crying game, which was playing with gender politics, became hugely popular in the States, uh, mainly because of its gender politics and its playing on that. But yet it was, again, using the troubles as a sort of a backdrop to a sort of uh, sort of creating narrative. So I, I think filmmakers are always trying to do this. They're sort of using the troubles, maybe unfairly to a lot of extent, but they can make good storylines out of it. Whether it has residue for, for audiences and how they connect with, I'm, I'm not so sure. So I have no great film that I could recommend like, like that, but there's been a lot of really good stuff. I, 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 I think that Hunger is, is, is a masterpiece in its sort of stylistic evocation of, of, of sort of the, of, of that. And, and there's lots of good art films that have come out that, that speak to a different, but they're, they're for different audiences. So I, I, I'm into the broad church of different sort of narratives that speak to different times and different sort of things. So I would like more narratives and more stories about, the, about Northern Ireland to, to sort of make it, to, to, to sort of really highlight the issues uh, as a sort of a general and I think our students, that's what we would want is our students to make films that speak to something that they can connect with. And that, that that's important. Well, I, I look forward to the film um, of the Northern Ireland um, Protocol. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure who'd play David Frost <laughs> and Maros Shevgoetsch, but uh, one can live in hope. Um, thank you both so much for a really um, interesting uh, and thought-provoking discussion. And so I'm sure our listeners will have, will have enjoyed it very much. Um, so goodbye and, and thanks to Pat Brereton and to Deso Raw. ARANS stands for Analyzing and Researching Ireland, North and South. It's a joint initiative of the Royal Irish Academy, which is the premier all-island scholarly institution, and the University of Notre Dame's Kyo Nocton Institute of Irish Studies, which is itself part of the Kyo School of Global Affairs. It was established in 2020 with the objective, especially at that time in a post-Brexit context, of producing authoritative, independent and non-partisan analysis and research across the full range of relevant constitutional, institutional and social issues. And in fact, over the last couple of years, uh, we've covered uh, a quite remarkable range of subjects. And the research can be found in the Journal of Irish Studies in International Affairs, which is published by the Royal Irish Academy and access to which is free to all online. 
the aim is to be scholarly, uh, but also accessible and relevant. Publications began to appear in early 2021, um, and this podcast also began uh, in 2021 in June. I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast you just listened to, and I also hope that you will find others of interest on our website, which is aaronsproject.com, and also that you listen out for future podcasts, which are normally dropped on the first Thursday of every month. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>